Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi guys, it's Jordan from the Balanced Blonde Soul on Fire podcast. On my show, we go deep on all things astrology, awakening, motherhood, channeling, healing, and so much more. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease, and the healing journey I embarked on at that time set me on the path to radical awakening. Let's just say I had no choice but to change my energy, and that opened me up to the most beautiful healing of my life. On my show, you can expect to feel like you're sitting in my living room chatting with old friends. Tune in every Wednesday to connect and hang on the Balanced Bond Soul on Fire. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. We have not done an eating disorder deep dive in a while. I felt it had been too long, but this was worth the wait because Mimi Cole and I, Mimi Cole being our fabulous guest today, get into it to say the least. If you're not familiar with Mimi, get familiar, please. Her Instagram is at the.lovelybecoming. She is a therapist, an author, host of the Lovely Becoming podcast, and she was just recently featured in the New York Times for the viral article, You Don't Look Anorexic. New research shows that our assumptions about eating disorders are often wrong and that many larger body people are starving themselves. This article is about atypical anorexia and eating disorder discrimination. It's a fantastic read. So proud of Mimi. She does such amazing work. I'm so glad that she was recognized on such a public scale. And I was grateful to have her on the show. So we're going to get into it today, debunking eating disorders, societal standards and expectations regarding them and body image and recovery. What does recovery even mean? How do we do it? There is so much here. And I think you're really going to love our conversation. Before we do, quick shout out to Hannah G. Hi, Hannah G. A new mama left a five-star review, said, love the new outlook on myself. I'm just getting into the podcast world and I'm working on changing the way I think and view myself. 
I had my son a little over a year ago and Vic's podcasts and intuitive eating checklists and mindset have been so helpful in accepting my new body and letting myself still eat what I want. I love listening to RealPod. Love Hannah. Hannah G, thank you so, so much. Say hi to your cute little boy for me. And I'm so, so happy to hear that. And I know you're just going to love today's episode. If any of you want to leave me a rating or review to be the special shout out on next week's episode, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. But you can also rate the show wherever you listen, which is a huge help. Thanks for tuning in. And without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Mimi Cole. Mimi, welcome to Real Pod. So excited to have you. How are you? How's your spirit? How was Thanksgiving? It's so exciting. It's been chaotic of a week. I saw a mouse and I moved. I literally moved because I can't do that. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Weren't you, were you not in like a lease or did you sublet it? They were so nice to me because I was like, I really cannot do this. And they let me move to somewhere else. And so, you know. Okay, that's good. And also they probably were like, she has all this leverage because we have mice in the building. (laughs) I know, it was wild. (laughs) Yeah, Max hates rodents, like hates, hates, Mm -hmm. hates. And I hate insects. So if there's insects, he can kill them, get them out of the house for me. And if there are rodents... I just tease him. So I'm not, <laughs> not very fair. I should help a little bit. Yes. I love the dynamic. You need that in relationship. <laughs> yeah. You need someone to kill the spiders and someone to, you know, check if there's a skunk in the trash, which, you know, sometimes that happens. So how are you though? Aside, mouse aside, Mimi, where's our mental health at today? We are just doing our best hanging in there. I feel the same way. I, I get it. Like, it's like just chugging along, trying not to like break at every little thing. I've been going through some stuff and it's just a lot, especially when you have life happening. You're like, I can't put work on hold, school like on hold. I can't, I have to show up to this thing, but I need a day. But also, do I need a day? Should I power through? You know, I can't tell if I'm suiting up my boots and grinding or if I'm like, shoving down my emotions and ignoring how I really feel. I'm like, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> it's hard, you know, when I, I, at first when you asked that, I was like, oh, I should say good. And, you know, things are going well. But honestly, like, it's hard. I was in therapy the other day and I was telling my therapist, like, my emotions are too big. Like, this is more than I should be experiencing in response to the holidays and like leaving and coming back to different places And she was like, yeah, you just need to feel it. And I was like, no, you need to fix this. (laughs) Wow, that's a powerful statement. My emotions are too big. And I think that's so relatable and common for people to experience is I literally can't let this surface because it's too painful. I mean, literally the other night I said to Max, I was like anxiously cleaning the whole kitchen. And I just said to him, like, I don't want to go to bed because I fear that when I get in bed, I'm going to start hysterically crying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nights are especially hard. And it's like when you know it's going to be extremely painful to release and it feels like it won't end. Like that kind of intense pain in that moment feels very unbearable when you're in it. And it's the holidays. So everyone's cheery and joyful. And I love 
Christmas. I have been looking forward to these four weeks, three weeks, the whole year, and now it's here, and I can't even get in the Christmas spirit. Right? It's so much expectation built in, too, of like, this is the day you're going to be happier the week or time. And sometimes our life plans just don't match up to the emotions we want, like birthdays even. Like, we want it to be so good and enjoyable. And then it's like, why isn't everything fitting into that mold? Right, exactly. I think it's just frustrating when that happens. I want, like I said in this therapy appointment, I keep thinking like I want something to numb out or turn it off. And interestingly, I was like, because other people, as my reference, as if I know what it's like to be other people, (laughs) but I'm like, other people don't feel this much pain when, for example, I went home for the holidays and I saw my mom for a couple days and I was like, I can't, I don't want to leave. Like, it was really hard to go. And I was like, I feel like this is not normal. I feel like other people would be like, yeah, I'm sad, but like, I'm excited to go back. And I felt very attached and torn. And I think, again, she was kind of like, that's human. Like a lot of people are cut off from their emotions and numb and that's not what you want. And I'm like, but that's what I see all the time. And I feel like that's what coping looks like or is normal. And that can be really tricky. And as I started being a therapist this year, it's awesome. And it's also managing my own emotions so that I can hold space for others and figuring out boundaries and what I would want versus what I need and taking care of myself. And so it's just kind of a little bit of all these things that I don't have quite a name for in the way that we do. Oh, I'm struggling with my OCD right now, or my eating disorder is really loud. It's like just a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I know a common thread in your teachings is radical self-compassion. And I think that's a key. Like, you don't have the answer. You don't have the label. It's just this feeling of uneasiness and it's fine to have that and literally not know where it's coming from and literally not know how to get rid of it, but just to allow it to be without the judgment. Mm, I love that. It's funny having my words kind of said back to me sometimes. I'm like, uh, (laughs) here it is. You're like, wait, you do that, but I can't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I relate to that. I get that a little bit. Similar to you not wanting to leave your mom and being sad as opposed to maybe being so happy you had the time and then leaving. My mind always has this underlying pessimism, just this reminder that this might never happen again. All these people at this table, everything in my life, the way it is right now, something horrible could happen tomorrow. And It's such an unsettling fear to constantly have, but I'm also a realist. But then it's like, I can't even enjoy. I was literally hysterically crying. I filmed a TikTok about this constant reminder of like, things will never be the way that they are. And that's a sad thing. It's like time moves so fast. Absolutely. I think that I often experience that feeling when I see photos of an experience or I'm taking the photo and I'm like, That's the moment that I wanted in my head. But why am I suddenly having intrusive thoughts or fears? Yes. It's not fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or that's the moment, but it didn't feel like this life-altering experience that I thought Mm -hmm. it would. Yeah. And then you start to think, oh, well, if this thing that I thought was going to be so awesome and amazing 
actually I could give two shits about when it happens. What's the point of life? And you're like, oh, <laughs> shoot, there we are. <laughs> yes. And then I'm like, plan something new that you're looking forward to. Like, let's just. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I am so glad that it is because one of our big themes is therapy and reaching out to someone to talk about what you are going through. Therapy was by far the most pivotal thing for me on my healing journey because life doesn't come with a user manual. You know what I mean? When something's not working for you, it's hard to recognize what's going on and navigate life's challenges. Therapists are trained to help us figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn coping skills. So therapy is kind of like that user manual, right? It's the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine that is you. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service. They have matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. You can save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash realpod. That's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash realpod to save 10% off your first month. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And then if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist at any time. So it could not be simpler. There's no waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. BetterHelp is set up to make it easy and convenient for you to get the help that you need. So to learn more and save 10% off your first month, you can visit betterhelp.com slash realpod. That's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash realpod. You mentioned briefly, you know, eating disorders at the beginning of that. And I know a huge pillar of what you talk about is recovery and your experiences with atypical anorexia and disordered eating and body image issues. I was curious when you first started struggling with all of that. Yeah, I would say it's a little blurry, but sometime when I was, I want to say, let's see, 2013, like nine years ago, it was before I started therapy and I struggled for a couple of years you know, reflecting back on that experience has been really hard sometimes being in this work where you're trying to provide the services that you didn't get for yourself sometimes in therapy and recognizing that as much as I try to create more access and more understanding for people, I can never go back and re-offer myself that same thing in the time that I needed it. And so I feel sad sometimes because at the the hardest and worst points of my struggles where I think that now I'm like, oh my gosh, of course you would have warranted a diagnosis or treatment in a certain type of way. Nobody will ever really know that part of me. And so I have to go back and validate myself and say like, yeah, it was that bad. We don't have any record or like someone who holds the story with me and for me. And I think that just is a really interesting thing that shows up in the work that I do today, where maybe I'm thinking to someone, oh, this is an opportunity where I can say you have an eating disorder and it's real and it's valid. And it's not your fault that you're trying to be good and you're trying to exercise. And I have to sit with that part of me and that past self who never got that. Mm -hmm. So many things coming up. I mean, one is the feelings that, oh, like I lost this time in my life or this could have been different had X, Y, Z never happened or had so-and-so not made that comment or if I had never stepped on the scale that day, you know, and you wonder like how things would be. And then secondly, 
recovery voice. Is it a recovery voice that 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 <laughs> does tell you, oh yeah, you're fine. So you must have like never had a problem. And I loved the post you had of two statements about an eating disorder. It wasn't bad enough or it wasn't good enough. Yes. And I completely relate to that. Will you just describe the different meanings behind those two statements? Yeah. I mean, I love that. I feel like it's like my eating disorder was not bad enough to warrant care. And so I need to do it worse. I need to be better at it. I need to engage in more behavior so people actually recognize it as real and valid. And at the same time, it's like, I want to do it better because it's not good enough for me to be done with and put in the past. It's not there to the point that like I can put it away. And I think I hear that a lot in narratives of recovery where it's like, I want this to be a deeper part of my story so that like it can be truly dealt with and done. I want to go to a higher level of care because that's the only way that it'll be full circle and I'll actually have that eating disorder story that's valid. And it's wild how like I would consider myself as someone who has a very healthy relationship with food now and my body. However, why is there a part of me who's like proud? I can recall like two times that I fainted because I'm like, oh, I fainted because I wasn't eating because that and then that means, oh, that was real. And it's like, I'm the Vic in the future. I'm (laughs) the Vic in the present moment who's like, why would you think that that's something to be proud of? But the Mm -hmm. roots run so deep. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think there's a lot of shame of like, why would you, it's hard to understand when you haven't experienced it, but you're at the same time, like, I'm so proud of what I've done. And also like, Ooh, let me tell you about the time I went to residential because they were, I was dying. Like I was really suffering. And that can be, that has been something that's hard for me is that I never went to treatment with insurance access and not being believed and things like that. And so when I have conversations with people and they're like, yeah, so when I was an inpatient and like I fainted and all my friends were really worried about me, I start thinking, should I try this again? Like, maybe I should go to the hospital and faint. Like, I know all the things now. I can try just a little bit harder. But ironically, I mean, it gets harder each time. It's not like when you're in the mindset of the eating disorder, it's hard to do that same thing when you know more about recovery and healing. But those thoughts still come up and they still are like confusing and hard to grapple with. Mm -hmm. And I will always, I don't want to say I will always feel, but I have always felt less than because I never went to treatment either. It's just Mm -hmm. such a like, oh, well, I went to treatment and you didn't. So it wasn't as bad as mine, you know? Yeah. And it's funny. I catch myself all the time trying to like say, oh, it wasn't as bad as it was. And then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, yes, it was (laughs) like, you know, and then I feel like (laughs) I have to list all these horrible things to justify to myself, you know, so the whole spiral is unhealthy. When we talk about recovery, though, like, first of all, what is recovery, Mimi? And how does someone begin to realize or decide that they should pursue that? So recovery is a little bit contentious because recovery means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And that gets a little bit tricky. For some people, recovery is this idea of I recovered and I'm done with the eating disorder. I don't have any more thoughts and urges. And that was kind of coined by a therapist named Carolyn Costin, who is really amazing. And she brought a lot of hope, I think, to the field of like, you can 
have a life outside of just the eating disorder. A lot of other people will say being in recovery means you're working towards healing your relationship with food and body. You're in therapy or treatment. You are not engaging in behaviors. Although that's kind of hard too, because a lot of people say I'm in recovery from the eating disorder and they're just starting and engaging in a lot of behaviors. And then some people will say they're in long-term sustained recovery where they're like, I might go back because I don't know what life's going to bring. And I kind of like that perspective of I am in recovery. But for some people too, it's like, I don't want to always be in recovery from my eating disorder. I want it to be done and in the past. But I think that speaks to a lot of our discomfort with not having concrete answers and not being certain. And no one wants to be in that subliminal in-between space of like, I'm always going to have to be trying to eat my three meals a day and it's going to be a hassle. And then there's the problem of barriers and access where a lot of the people who are quote unquote recovered, it's like they still live in very thin bodies and still experience a lot of privileges. And it's like, even without your eating disorder, you're still like the image of what we understand to be beauty and maybe even an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And so I think if someone's interested in recovery It's honoring and growing some of that hope that it's not going to be exactly like this hard forever and it will get better and it can be good and food can be less of a big part of your life and your body. And at the same time, recognizing kind of brutally, honestly, that like it doesn't make life perfect to recover or be in recovery. And personally, I feel like there's sometimes some setbacks of recovery where sometimes it's going to be harder for you to fit into clothes and you're going to lose acceptance of some people, maybe family members and that ignorant sort of bliss where you're like, I can relate to my friends who want to go to the gym. But when you're in recovery, it's like, oh yeah, that's not really cool. And it's lonely sometimes. So yeah, I think it's really nuanced and complex. And I think there needs to be more consideration for that. Okay. First of all, like just snaps because this is why she does what she does, people. I mean, all the answers there. So much to dive into. I'm starting to perk up in my chair because I have a million things to say. First question, how do you feel about recovery? What's your definition as it manifests itself in your life? I don't really use that word. Okay. Me neither. Great. We're going to talk about this. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to come at you with boxing gloves, but I was like, I don't like that word either. No, it's like I went back. It's like going back to this happy childhood where you were like perfect. Then the eating disorder came. It was really bad. And then you go back to being happy around food. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's just not my story. Like, honestly, illness happens. Like, it's not going to look as picture perfect. I think it's kind of complicated. I mean, and that gets into the whole societal expectation that we need, to, like, having a healthy relationship with food looks a certain way, right? Like, oh, that's yeah. problem too is like, you have to eat this way. I, at least I know for a long time, a long time, a few years, I was like, oh, if you're not an intuitive eater, you don't have a healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. I was very like high on my horse of intuitive eating. And I had to realize and accept everyone has a different relationship with food. And some people might not be intuitive eaters and that works for them. And there's nothing toxic about it. And then people in ED recovery use the term relapse, which I don't love that word. I feel like it's super negative. It sounds like you failed something. I use the term because I know it's well known in this community and it's an easy way to relate to other people or have them understand what you're talking about. But that to me makes me feel like every single day I'm facing an obstacle 
that I'm trying to overcome and I don't necessarily have that every single day. So, you know, it's complicated. And back to what I just said before this about what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with food? I wanted to talk about labels with you because that's such an element to this whole animal as well as what eating disorder did you have? Was it an eating disorder or was it disordered eating? And people who feel like the label gives them great clarity and others who feel like the label is the scarlet A upon their chest. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) I like to be pretty blunt with people about these conversations. And I always say anorexia is at the top. That means you're good. That means you are like you have an eating disorder, but you're very good at it and you're nice. And then bulimia is like you have a severe eating disorder. That's a problem, but it's not as good as if you were to restrict. You kind of failed a little from purging or from binging, I should say. And then bulimia is like, oh, it's your fault. That is such a big problem. And I know that I think people don't like to say that because it's like, oh, no, that's not how it is. All eating disorders are equal. But I'm like, no, that's kind of the underlying hierarchy. It needs to be named. So you're saying that's how society paints those disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would agree. And kind of, I don't know if this was intentional, but and binge eating disorders just not included because no one views it as they're like, oh, you just eat a shit ton of food and that's disgusting. Yeah. Like, and I wasn't a severe restrictor. So I was never someone who was anorexic. So then Mm -hmm. when I'm like, I'm just a binge eater, it's not glamorous. Whereas like Mm -hmm. almost being anorexic supposedly comes along with being incredibly thin, which is desirable. And I know you've experienced atypical anorexia, which can you dive into for us, for those who've never heard what that means? Yeah. So atypical anorexia is a category under otherwise specified feeding and eating disorders. And basically, first of all, you're in the other category and you're like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I not just an eating disorder? Not that that's your identity, but like, why don't I just have a regular eating disorder? And then it breaks down into five categories. And interestingly, like around it in that same umbrella is subclinical or subthreshold binge eating disorder and subthreshold bulimia. So you're already like, okay, so we're in this not as fully important. And then the criteria is that you meet all criteria for anorexia nervosa, except that despite significant weight loss, you are not clinically underweight. And that's so infuriating because it's like you didn't do enough weight loss, basically is the hearing is the way that I interpret some of that language of you did, you restricted, you lost a ton of weight, you have this really strong attachment of your weight to your worth, but like you're not underweight. And that's really messy because a lot of people's bodies are genetically predisposed to protect them from losing so much weight that they are clinically underweight and have those complications. But that's not seen as a good thing. It's seen as a very bad thing. And also people with atypical anorexia actually tend to lose more weight overall than those with anorexia nervosa. And they have the same medical complications and sometimes worse eating disorder pathology or like negative thoughts. Because they're living in a larger body, right? So they're also experiencing that societal oppression. Exactly. And it's like, why would you say it's atypical when it's more common than typical anorexia? Because we know this hierarchy where anorexia is the best. Like you lose weight, that means you have willpower. And there's this idea, this societal idea that if you're not, if you're really restricting, then you would be underweight. I'm just taking it all in. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's so much. And it's like, no wonder why it's difficult for people to try to identify what it is they're struggling with, because there's a million things. There's the body image. When I look in the mirror, the filters online, there's the number on the scale. There's the food and the junk food versus healthy food and calories and fasting and societal oppression and clothing sizes and inner dialogue and constant triggers. And and so when you think about recovering or you're like, I can't do this anymore, which hill do you even try to climb first? Mm-hmm. I mean, so many people with one diagnosis, you are so much more likely to have another one. Have you ever met someone with an eating disorder who also doesn't have depression or anxiety? And then they're really trying to deal with that. And they're trying to deal with trauma or borderline personality disorder. And it's like, am I supposed to recover from the eating disorder while I am a full-time student, while I am a friend and a family member, and I have to keep going and facing my greatest fear six times a day? That's intense. And not everyone has the time or capacity or support to take that time off and Mm -hmm. to engage in that process. This episode is sponsored by our beloved sponsor, Athletic Greens. I drink Athletic Greens every single morning, and you should too, and here is why. It is the easiest thing ever, first of all. It is so quick, and it is a small, fast habit that has a huge impact. And what is Athletic Greens? Well, you mix one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens with water, you drink that, and once you do, you are absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients, it supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system. I notice it the most with my immune system. I just feel like my body is in check when I'm drinking Athletic Greens. Also, your energy, recovery, focus, literally all the things. I can barely keep up with like all the vitamins, all the supplements. There's so many things I feel like we're being told to have. And I've found this one way that works, which is Athletic Greens. And it really replaces all those vitamins and supplements for me and is that small micro habit with big benefits. Right now, it is time to arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into flu and cold season. And it's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give real pod listeners, shout out, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash realpod. That's athleticgreens.com slash realpod to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, Mimi, if we had to try to map out first steps, the most important things, big helpers for everyone, what would your advice be or starting guiding points for people trying to pursue a healthier relationship with their body and food? Ooh, I would say therapy. (laughs) I'm a little biased as a therapist, but finding someone that you really trust and that can take some time and is really hard because sometimes a therapist you want won't take the insurance that you have or they'll specialize in something else. And that's really tricky because I think you do want someone who has worked with people with eating disorders. And it's really hard to figure out who that person is who's going to support your needs and understand you. So I would say probably my first step is looking for different types of therapists and seeing if they have information calls. 
I think that a lot of people skip that part sometimes and then they end up feeling sort of stuck with the therapist that they have. But a lot of people will have 15 minute calls where you can ask questions. And I would ask questions like, if I gain weight, is that going to be a bad thing for you? If I go beyond my quote unquote estimated weight or something like that, how would you respond? What is your relationship with your body and food? Like what's your approach to eating disorders? And then a team approach is the other thing I'd say is getting a dietitian on board. If you can getting a psychiatrist on board, getting all those members to support because it's really hard work and you want to have as much support as you possibly can. In a perfect world, that would be so ideal for the person who is a student has a job, an athlete, maybe doesn't even have time, doesn't even know the first place to look. Are there little things that they could be doing as well? Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes there are support groups in areas where they are free or low cost or on college campuses. And that can be a great place to just talk about it and get support. And usually they're led by therapists, which is just nice because they can kind of listen in for, is this something that you know, you can participate in and keep doing school and everything. I hate to say that because I'm like, not that your eating disorder is less severe and doesn't warrant as much care, but sometimes you might be not be aware of the medical challenges going on or just how much support you might need in that moment. So I would say those resources, organizations like Project Heal and the Alliance have a lot of support groups virtually, or they have connection to all sources where they can tell you exactly who you can reach out to. And they have like books and resources and Instagram lives. What are some of the things that you have done to set yourself up for a different relationship with food in your body and maybe contrasted with recognizing habits or patterns that you had and trying to make changes? I know I've had to do that as well. So we could both share. Yeah. I mean, for me, honestly, it's as practical as going to Costco (laughs) and spending, I set aside a really big chunk of time to walk around the aisles and I'm like, I'm going to find frozen foods that I like so that I have something easy to prepare when I'm like rushing or I often find myself like hyper-focused on work and I'm like, I don't want to cook something that's going to take too long. Or I look at ideas on TikTok and I'm like, okay, we're going to make something that looks fun. Like, and so mason jar, like canning is my next project. (laughs) making big batches and just like figuring out what works for me because I have tried some of the things like going to a dietitian and each time it's been like, okay, you need to eat this and that. And I'm like, I mean, honestly, I'm triggered by the word dietitian. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, me. (laughs) No, like I I don't, not like you saying it, I'm saying, but I just mean for me to be thinking about trying to heal my relationship with food and going to someone who calls themselves a dietitian, like there's, that's a whole animal in itself because dietitian and every experience I've had with the dietitian has been how to help me lose two pounds a week since I was yeah. 14. So, you know, I don't have the best idea of what that is. And I love the now anti-diet dietitians and the intuitive eating anti-diet dietitians. But I mean, isn't that so interesting too? Because people could go to seek help for this and be with someone who's like, okay, I'm going to help you. And we're also going to like count your calories and it's totally fine. And like they're doing, you know, they're still versed in this. Yes. I've had too many experiences of my clients being like, my nutritionist said it was good to have my calorie apps. And I'm like, no, you should delete them. And they're like, who do I listen to? (laughs) Right. And I mean, at the end of the day, you have to do what works best for you. Mm -hmm. But 
that is a major concern is are you even surrounding yourself with the people who are going to guide you to what you need and really listen to you and not body shame you or food shame you? Yeah, definitely. And listen to yourself. I know that all of these like body positive accounts and even therapists and dietitians, like if you feel like something is off that they're saying, they're not perfect. Like you have so much wisdom within your body and I bet you it's telling you something important. And I think about that often. This is probably another reason I'm like, oh, it probably wasn't that bad is because I was able to very much identify what was going on. Well, once someone else helped me identify and I was able to realize, oh shit, yeah, this is not great. And then I learned about intuitive eating. I mean, it made so much sense for me that it clicked. And Mm -hmm. of course it was trial and error. Of course it took time, but I'm definitely an anomaly of like, girl has eating disorder, girl seeks recovery, girl is healed. And I sometimes think about maybe the pressure that puts on my community who maybe is like, oh, I just can't get intuitive eating. And like Vic does it and it looks so easy, you know? Mm, That is really invalidating feeling because I remember my therapist, I sort of at one time identified as recovered and I was like, I, I don't understand how other people keep going back and coming in. And I, I mean, I do. But at the same time, I was like, was it not that bad because I could like feel better? Does that mean that I should have mine isn't as bad as theirs because I was able to really latch onto the treatment and heal in a lot of ways? And I think that's another sneaky way where like, mm, like it wasn't that bad. Like we need to try again or something like that. I had Abby Sharp on and she was talking about her orthorexia and she shared how she was known as the clean eater and the one who had the vegetables and had the nutritious plate. And I think there is that component of letting go of this version of yourself or this pattern or this identity because you have kind of identified, you know, as maybe the person with this body type or the person who eats this and your body might change and your eating habits might change as you try to quote recover. So, you know, that is certainly another obstacle. And I almost feel like I had the inverse of that because I have like, I, I think I, I would say I eat a lot. I love having snacks. Like I can have a meal and then keep having snacks. And I think about how I, my obstacle is the judgment or the eyes of others being like, you eat twice as much as your six, five husband and Mm -hmm. you're eating again. And it's like, I just have to be like, yep, I'm eating again. Or I have these snacks in my house because at the end of the day, I have to fiercely protect what I need to do to maintain the relationship I have with food and I don't care if someone thinks I'm eating a lot or I'm eating too much or I shouldn't be hungry or that I shouldn't have these things in my pantry. This is what I need to do to feel safe, you know? Yes, I love that. I feel like it's also something that doesn't get talked about a lot is when you are healing your relationship with food and you have friends who are supportive and have gone through it. But when you are kind of further along in your journey, sort of in that sense, And then you hang out with your friends who are like, yeah, food is really hard. It's awkward to be like, 
I'm having like five tacos and they're like, I'm really struggling with two. And you're like, oh, well, I'm really hungry. I'm going to have another one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So how do you navigate that situation when it comes up? Oh, I mean, more recently, I've been able to be like, I don't even have time to think through worrying about that. Like it comes up for a second and I could be like, oh, interesting. The example that comes to mind is like tacos, actually, (laughs) like friends will be like, okay, so I usually feel hungry for three. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, if it was just me, I would probably just like start with five and like, I don't know what to do here. So usually now I'm just like, well, let's just not even dive into the difference in numbers. Let's just eat what we need because I'm going to be hungry later. And then also truly, I think something that's been helpful for me is expanding my friendships to be not just about people who understand recovery, which can be kind of tricky because the benefit is that they won't say as many diet comments automatically. You don't have to teach them, but it very much limits your life to like, all we really talk about is eating disorders. And so I like the kind of friendships that I have right now. A lot of them know about eating disorders and have their experiences, but they're in a place where we're not like, Ooh, like lunch was hard today, which again, very valid. And like, we need that support, but we're able to talk about other things like memes we saw or make jokes about recovery And so it's nice to be in that space where it's not everything in our relationships. Yes. I think that is a fantastic point. Like, I don't want to send depression memes back and forth with my friends. I don't want to joke about how much I hate life. Like, I know Mm -hmm. we used to do that. I know that used to be the thing. Like, I saw that as such a huge problem when I was getting out of my depressive episode is realizing, whoa, I'm in a bubble of negativity. Like I, that's the vibe. That's what's cool. That's what's in right now. And I dove into this content. Some people really don't like it because I think it's tough love. Did the depression memes help me when I was (laughs) struggling? Were they the only thing that made me laugh? Yes. And they were freaking funny and they served a purpose. And I think the content I'm referring to, it does help. Sometimes we need a pity party. However, when you realize that you want to have change, like negativity breeds negativity and you have to choose to pursue joy. You can't choose joy. You can't choose happiness. You can't choose healing, but like you can choose the pursuit of it and then look at your life and say, what things are not allowing me to pursue this? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah. I think that's interesting. Like, because with conversations like this, such as choosing recovery to pursue it and to surround yourself by things that are going to influence it. I think that the people who need to hear that we have to pursue it and do more are the ones who are like, I don't care. And then the people who are like, oh, but does that mean that's my fault? And are really sensitive, latch onto it. And they're like, oh my God, she said, I'm like pitying myself. And it's like, no, but there has to be space for this understanding that it's, there's things that we can do to surround ourselves with more support and more positivity almost um, Mm -hmm. so that our internal state is lifted up a little bit. I'm glad you said that because I have for the past 20 seconds been thinking, oh my God, did that come off really the wrong way? And people aren't going to like me. So instead of deleting it, because I'm in my reputation era of being more of myself and <laughs> accepting that not everything's going to be perfectly delivered, of course, I mean, everything I've posted, said, do lends itself to wanting to support, be compassionate, 
for people and their mental health struggles. I think the conversation we don't want to have, and I had an episode called the mental health conversation no one wants to have, ironically, with Dr. T, a psychologist. And we just discussed how it's no longer encouraged to try to seek the optimism or try to make the positive changes because we're so, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. And we're missing the tag on sentence. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Mm. You know, like it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And sometimes it can't be you who pulls you out of it, but it can be opening up to one person in your life who then can help grab your hand and pull you along, can send you a resource, can check in on you. And I think that that is what I'm trying to describe. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I'm glad that kind of reminded me of the touchiness of the conversations around eating disorders and relapse, where it's like, my therapist always said, you're going to relapse. Like, that's going to happen. And I was like, but I haven't. So should I, should I be relapsing? And I think it's meant to hold hope for people where they're like, why am I relapsing? Is that I'm not doing it right. And they're speaking to this very narrow sect, but they don't realize that a lot of people are taking that as, oh, I'm doing it wrong. I need to relapse. And it's really touchy with eating disorders to say like, maybe just a small piece of the like going from treatment center to treatment center is playing into the eating disorder role. And that is not meant to be like, it is your fault. You are choosing the eating disorder role. And that's really hard to communicate and not what everyone needs to hear at this time. And for some people, it's like, you can, and again, I hate to say choice because that makes it seem like you can choose recovery and it's you can be can, all good. I think you can choose the pursuit Like you Mm -hmm. can choose to have the conversation. You can choose to listen. You can choose to buy the book. You can choose to make the phone call. It doesn't mean you can choose the result, but I Mm -hmm. do think you can make the choice that you want to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, you know, it's the choice is going to be differently accessible to different people. Like Mm -hmm. the choice to pursue that book might be more of a barrier because there's more loss that comes with recovery for some people, but you can decide like, it doesn't have to be one way. Yes. And I think that's a big summary of what our conversation is about is like calling out the various labels, expectations, norms, judgments, preconceived notions about different types of eating disorders, about recovery, about mental health, about healing. I think one of the first things you said was like, food doesn't have to be this huge part of your life. And I understand your meaning was like, food doesn't have to negatively consume every waking thought you have and have this control over you, 100%. However, I think when I was, quote, recovering, I dreamed of this world where, you know, food just would never exist to me. Like, I just wish I didn't care about food. I used to wish I would lose my sense of taste so that I wouldn't (laughs) care about food. I'm sure I think everyone who had an eating disorder wished they lost their sense of taste, which is a horrible thing. We were fucked up. (laughs) Anyways, I love food. This is my point. I love food. It is a huge part of my life. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack time, dessert. I want to know what we're eating. I care. I'm looking up the menu. I'm having more. I mean, I love food. It is a big part of my life. And that's okay. That's not, quote, disgusting. That's not unfair 
feminine. That doesn't mean I have an eating disorder. It just means I freaking love food. And if that's how it looks for me and for someone else, it might be like, oh, you know what? I eat to live. You either eat to live or live to eat is what people say. I definitely think I I think I do a healthy amount of both, but I would say I maybe my more live to eat. I love food. I just and now I love it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be confined by the healthy plate by plate approach after you. Like you now get to experience half your portion being carbs and things, you know, it looks different for everyone, for someone in recovery, how you eat now as someone who has a healthy relationship with food might look like different and that's okay. Definitely. Mimi, thank you so much. This was wonderful. And I think if anything, let's be honest, like we can't have the answers in one podcast that's going to cure each and every person's eating disorder. We wish we we could. I think the, the point is, if you're now thinking about it differently, if you're now asking yourself the questions, if you're now reflecting on what's working for you, what hasn't been worked, if you disagree, if you agree, like I think that's the point is to remind people, women especially, that you get to think about what you want, what works for you and not what the cover of a magazine or an influencer is telling you you should do, you should eat, you should wear, you know? And I think that's what I think I hope people take from this is the thought starter of what it means for them. Yes. And I think that's the thing that I kind of take away is conversation. I think bringing these conversations to your friends and to your people and and getting curious about different angles and aspects. Definitely. Well, Mimi, thank you so, so, so much. I hope your holiday gets a bit more cheery. And if it doesn't, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.